Surprisingly, there aren't a lot of resources for non-traditional families, but Jessica Butler is on a mission to change that, and we discuss how in this week's episode. What happens when you put a career-focused woman with two kids trying to balance home and work life in a room with a microphone? Lots of laughter, tears, and great advice. I'm Jill Devine, and welcome to Two Kids and a Career. Joining me this week on the podcast, Jessica Butler. She is the founder of Raise Magazine. And when I first started diving into Raise Magazine, I was like, well, heck yeah, we need this, especially now in the times that we're in and beyond that. And Jessica, I'm going to let you tell your story. I, I just wanted to say, though, in the situation we're in with the quarantine, with COVID, there are a lot of blended families that are existing that haven't existed before. And that's where I really, really think Raise Magazine is going to be so beneficial. It's going to be such a great resource, which we're going to talk about what it's all about. But first, welcome to the podcast and let's talk about you. What's your story? Thank you. So my story, um, I was a TV writer and a stepmom and my son who was adopted was born at 30 weeks. So he was 10 weeks premature And I was on a show at the time and I finished that season and then I quit. I left Hollywood to stay home with him. And because he was so early, I managed a lot of his early intervention therapies. It was four to five sessions a week. And it was just something that I needed to be there for. And so as I was home, I really thought about what do I want to go back to? What work do I want to go back to once he is in school? And I didn't want to go back to TV full-time. And I knew I wanted to write. And so I said to my husband, you know, I want to do, I want to do a website, but I don't want to do a mommy blog. I want to do an editorial website. And I want to do something for families like ours because there wasn't any mainstream website for mothers who did not push their babies out of them Um, as a stepmom and an adoptive mom. And I, have friends who welcome their babies through a surrogate. And I have friends who are foster parents and friends who are single parents. And I just thought, why is there not a parenting magazine for that? Everything is so traditional. How in 2020 is the media still so focused on traditional mothers? So that's really how Ray's was born, um, just in my living room. Can I ask some questions? And if it's too personal, feel free to tell me. But can I ask some questions about, well, first of all, how old was your stepson when you met your husband? So I have two stepsons and they were seven and 13 when we met um, and we got married two years later. And now they are 21 and 26. So then you said you adopted. Did you choose adoption because of infertility issues or because that is something that you just felt strongly about? That's something I always wanted to do. I did not, well, I don't think I have infertility issues. I never tried to have a biological child, but my mother is adopted. And so I grew up just thinking that's one way to build a family. Um, And I really did like the idea I mean, it's not why I adopted, but for me, the cherry on top was that all of my children would be in the same boat, that my stepsons would never feel like my child that I had with my husband is more mine than they are because they each have two moms. 
Um, and so it really puts everybody in equal footing. And I loved that. And I love that for my adopted son, he knows that he has a mommy and a birth mommy and that his brothers have a mommy and a stepmommy. And so that helps him understand his story as well. But really, I did it just because that's what I thought I would always do growing up was adopt. And how old is he now? Five. So it it is <laughs> this goes to the psychological part, but it is really interesting how how we're raised and what we see in our lives really contributes to what we want to do. And and you just yes. said that with your mom. And it just it's something that you're right. If you're not exposed to it, it it's not going to be there and you're not going to know about it. And then that even goes to this magazine, which is why I got so excited because something that happened recently when I started making the announcement on social media that this podcast was coming back, a woman that I am friends with said, hey, just remember, if you need a perspective from me, let me know. And we were joking around and she's a stepmom. She said she made a joke about not having any kids, but having a kid. And she said it's a whole different arena that people don't know. She said that she would love to talk about it. And I told her, I said, I would love to have you on. And I told her about you and how I just welcome the diversity of things. And I cannot believe in 2020, like you said, there wasn't a resource like your magazine. Well, 44% of women in America have either a stepchild, a step brother or sister, or a step parent. So it's half of America, and yet you pop up in a parenting magazine, and it's not something that's talked about. Um, And I said to my husband over and over, this has to have been done. I have to be missing something. It has to be out there because it's so obvious. But I think that for a long time, step parenting was seen as not parenting, and so it just wasn't catered to. And adoptive parenting and foster parenting was very much seen as you're just their parent. And I am, I'm just my son's mom, but there's also an extra layer there of things that I deal with that nobody's talking about. Um, so it is different. It's not less than, but it's different. And step parenting is not less than, but it's different. It's still parenting. There are just different, there are different boundaries and there are different issues. Um, and even within step parenting, you have step parents who's you know, their spouse's ex is totally out of the picture or they're sharing custody 50-50 or they're only seeing kids, their stepchildren on the weekend. So it's not, you know, a cookie cutter solution of this is what being a stepmom is like. It's different, just like being a mom can be very different. You have working moms, stay-at-home moms. Um, but yeah, it's something that really needs to be talked about and it's so common and people really want the information and it's just not being put out there right now. Okay, so let's give the stepmom that's listening right now maybe some examples of what you are providing them, what they can find online, what they can find in your magazine, even your own personal antidotes. Well, I do share a lot of our personal story on the blog. I mean, I'm very careful not to share my children's stories, but I share my story as a mom. Um, So we talk about the custody schedules that worked for us. I talk about how I built traditions with my stepkids. Um, I talk about 
you know, in the beginning, we really celebrated everything as one big family. Before we became two families, we became one family. And we celebrated holidays and birthdays together at the very beginning with their mother. Okay. Um, which doesn't work for everybody, but it worked for us. And for the kids, because it was an amicable split and because their parents never made them feel like it should be awkward to be close to my family, they never felt that way. It wasn't until they were older and they realized that getting along with your stepmother and her family isn't necessarily the norm. Experience. Yeah. <laughs> right. They didn't realize it was abnormal um, or less common. Right. So it really is, you know, I talk about how that foundation is set by the two primary parents. Um, you know, I give all the credit to my husband and his ex-wife because they allowed me to be a parent to them, to the, to the boys. And so, you know, we offered, there are more, I want to say kind of coaching pieces. Like we're putting up a piece in a couple of weeks about how not to lose yourself in the stepmom transition. Um, that's written by, by someone in the wellness and coaching realm. And then there are more just personal stories of this is what worked for me and maybe it works for you. And then there's a big piece about how, you know, sometimes I get a little bold and mouthy. Um, <laughs> there's a piece on there about, you know, how I, I do claim the title of being my stepmom's or my stepson's mother. That doesn't make their other mother less of a mother. It's just they have two mothers, just like I have two grandmothers with two unique relationships. And our roles are very different, just like my role as their parent is different than my husband's role as their parent. But my kids have three parents. And that really upset a lot of people. <laughs> that ran on Scary Mommy, and it upset a lot of people. Um, and I went through and I, I personally responded to every single comment that ran on the Scary Mommy Facebook page. And a lot of people really changed their attitude once they knew that they were talking mm -hmm. to the person who wrote the piece. And even one of the women who came out of the gate very upset ended up doing a phone call with me and saying, I'm a mom and I have a terrible relationship with my ex-husband's girlfriend. And I don't want it to be like that, but I don't understand how to make it better. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a therapist. I don't have all the answers, but I think what a lot of people are responding to is you know, there are people out there where the stepmother in the picture is not an active parent. So again, that it, it's not just like, if you're a stepmom, you're a mom. It's that I am, I am a mom. And, you know, I talk about in the piece that I went in to pick up my stepson's homework when he was sick. And the woman at the front desk at school says, whose mom are you? And without thinking, I said Henry's because I knew what she was asking mm -hmm. was, right. which pile of homework are you asking for? And the principal got up and walked out of her office and said, that's Henry's stepmother, <sighs> not his mother. And so my piece was, you know, you the, the public doesn't get to decide how I identify myself as a parent to my children. Ugh. That's decided within the family. Um, and that's a really big thing, too, that I talk about is I've faced so much more criticism from outside forces than I have 
from like my husband's ex-wife. I mean, she's the one you expect in the beginning of the relationship to fight you on things. Um, not like a random person in the supermarket. And, you know, it is, it's all within the context of things. Like I introduce myself as my son's stepmother. I don't say I'm their mom, like, because I am their stepmother. And also they're pretty close in age to me. So it'd be pretty awkward if I tried to claim my 26 year old as my son. But, you know, when my stepson was nine and in Little League and his friend said, are you Henry's mom? Because he wanted to make sure I was Henry's parent. I can answer yes. I don't have to correct him in that moment and say, well, actually, I'm his stepmom and his real mom is over there. I mean, he knew that Henry had two moms. He knew his other mom was setting over there. I was the teen photographer and he needed to make sure he was talking to the right person. You have to allow people to judge for themselves when it's appropriate to correct someone. And, you know, sometimes I'm just Henry's parent or Jackson's parent. And other times I'm very much the step parent. And, you know, that's something that's decided within the family. It's not something that other people need to concern themselves with. Amen to that. Amen. Because I think a lot of cases are, it's not a good situation. And I just know from what I've heard from friends that, oh, the girlfriend or the uh, uh, ex-wife, all of that, it's just not great. So it's nice to see an example though with you guys. And there are definitely stepmoms and biological moms. I mean, there it doesn't matter what kind of mom you are. There are good ones and there are bad ones. Right. Um, I think for me, my mother's adoption is actually what shaped my step-parenting role even more than my role with my adopted son, because I knew growing up that I had a grandmother who was biologically related to me and a grandmother who wasn't, and it didn't matter. And so when I became a stepmother, the genetic component didn't matter. These were children who were in my house every other week, and I was responsible for them, and they were my kids. Now, the difference is, I think the role of a step-parent is to reinforce and abide by the rules that the primary parents have set forth. Right. You know, I I don't come in and turn everything upside down. Um, Now, that becomes really difficult if you have a spouse, if you're the stepmom and your husband or your wife doesn't really co-parent well with their ex and then you're in the middle, that's a totally different ballgame. But I often say to people, is the problem you're having with your spouse's ex or is the problem you're having with your spouse? Right and their parenting, because usually it's that if there's a big disconnect, they, the two primary parents have to work together, and then you support their decision. Um, so that aspect is a little bit different. But again, it's the same, like with with my son, Levon, who was adopted, like, my husband and I, we disagree about stuff all the time, and we have to come to a, a middle ground. So it's not like I have all the power there either. Um, I think people really need to step back and realize that parenting is it's not about control. No, it's we're all just doing the best we can. And the more people you have to help you, the better. Like I always joke, where's the third party right. for Levon? Who's who's coming to do the bath time tonight? Because I'm over it. Um, so, you know, a village can be a really great thing. Well, two takeaways before we pivot into a different topic. But when ultimately, it's love. 
that's the best thing that you can give. It is really, truly the only thing that you should focus on is love and keeping them safe. And you have those things down, you're good. It doesn't matter what your so-called title is. But another thing that you said I wrote down was even the custody schedule for parents. Okay. It's just amazing that you can offer a resource. Some, I mean, where would you even begin to look like, how do I figure out? I mean, I know your lawyer is going to tell you what they suggest and what they've seen in the past, but sometimes you want just another person's perspective, another parent's perspective, and just to be Mm -hmm. able to, and I'm just using that one piece there because that is something that people go into and they're like, I don't know what to even think or where to begin, but to offer that outlet and that information I just think it's so great that you're doing that and you've thought about that and you're putting it out there. And it's, you know, one of the things I do in the pieces, I asked my youngest stepson, who's now 21, because we switched our custody schedule around a lot. And kind of, I said, what ultimately was your favorite schedule? You know, it's, it's impossible to think about when you get a divorce and you write in your divorce decree, this is going to be the custody schedule. Right. Because your life changes and there has to be a certain amount of flexibility there. I mean, it's still real life um, and you don't know what's going to happen. And so, I mean, at one point, my um, stepson's mother was in a relationship with a man who had other children and we actually switched around our custody schedule so that when the boys were with her, her boyfriend also had his kids. And so they could be, you know, we kind of like, we had to sync our schedule with her boyfriend's schedule, but that's what worked for the kids. And so we ended up switching our weeks around so that they could have their, um, you know, their schedule with their mom work for their mom, because truthfully it didn't matter to us which week was on and which week was on. Right. And that's something that a lot of people would have fought, but it was like, why, why would we fight that? What's the difference? I mean, really take your ego out of it. Right. And you know, there were certain things, graduations come up. So vacations come up, work trips come up. We would always email and say, or text and say, Hey, can we switch this weekend? Um, you know, how do you want to do this holiday? Like you have to be able to communicate because if you are going to co-parent, you can't not talk to the person, right? You have to have, and I always tell people approach like a business relationship. There are plenty of people who don't like their boss, but they, you know, they work with them and they, communicate respectfully and you have to show that respect to the other co-parent. That's a great way to think of it. Yeah. I, yeah. You get along with all kinds of people you don't like. (laughs) So you don't have to like them to make it work. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about, and I know we could probably spend a ton of time on it, but in some of the minutes that we have remaining adoption and some items there that people can get more information on too, because I feel like this is starting to become, mm, I don't want to, I don't know if, if, if my wording more discussed is the right way, but I feel like it is definitely coming out a little bit more than it used to. I agree. Um, there are definitely birth mom voices out there and that is wonderful. And that was not a thing before. Right. A lot of adoptees are now speaking up, which is also wonderful. 
The interesting thing is, I think that a lot of people assume, well, adopted parents have always had a voice and, you know, they've always been at the top of the pyramid. For me, I feel differently about that because yes, the adoptive parents have always kind of had the power within the triad, but it was very different. You know, open adoption is something that is relatively new and it's being explored. And there aren't a lot of guidelines for how to do this as an adoptive mother. You know, the adoptive mothers that have had voices this whole time, by and large, were enclosed adoptions. And so they really were just the mom. It wasn't this layered, complex relationship that it is now. So I think adoptive parents are also navigating these new waters of what it means to be in an open adoption and how we adopt um, ethically and the right way to raise adopted children. It's just a whole new ballgame. So I think everybody's really starting at the bottom now, which is a great thing because you need all three of those points speaking to each other in order to make this work. Yeah. I was just thinking that that's probably, it it completes the entire circle, so to speak, so that you can hear from everybody. Now, do you, with your son, is it an open adoption? Yes, it is. We have communication with his birth mother and um, she is not heavily involved in his day-to-day life, but her parents are, Okay, which seems really odd for some people, but it really works for us. That's something that she was comfortable with. Um, when he was about two, they became a very active part. They're just another set of grandparents for him. Yeah. More love. So yeah. And, um, that's what really works for our family. So again, it, it looks very non-traditional, but within his world, it's completely normal. And he knows that he has me as his mommy and what we call a tummy mommy. He's, he's not really old enough yet to grasp the full emotional side of adoption, but he knows that he grew in his tummy mommy's tummy and that that person is, you know, the daughter of his grandparents and he gets it on a very basic level. Um, And he'll tell you that when you grow in somebody's tummy, whatever they like and they don't like, it means that you will like it and not like it because we always talk about the similarities between him and his birth mom and like the foods that she hates that he hates. And so in his mind, like that's, that's one of his favorite things to tell people is that I don't like bananas either. And that's because my tummy mommy didn't like bananas. Like, I mean, I (laughs) would, it's just delightful to me. I wouldn't even have thought to have that as a name and it just, uh, it brings me joy to, you know, have you on and talk about this because there's someone listening that is going through this situation. And and I think something that I've talked about a few times is that I know our kids, well, your five-year-old and then my three and one-year-old, they're little bitties, but they know and they get it. And you just have to have a conversation with them. And it may seem strange, but if... I mean, they are just sponges. They soak it all up and they understand. Yes, yes. We can't be afraid to not have these conversations. Now, I might be afraid to have some of them with them or scared myself, but I have to show Mm -hmm. that I'm not and just tackle the conversations with them. Yeah, and it changes, you know, different people have different relationships. So obviously if she was an active part of his life, I wouldn't just call her a tummy mommy. Right. Because that would be sort of, downplaying what she is for him right now I think it would be confusing to elevate 
a name for her other than that because what he understands right now is that he was born from her. And so we picked that term because that works for the relationship he has and the age that he is. Now, obviously, when he's seven or eight, it will become birth mom, um, you know, or whatever we decide represents that relationship at the time. But, you know, it's something that's always evolving. And there are definitely people who do not like the term tummy mommy because they feel like it doesn't adequately represent what a birth mother is. But again, I think it's it's a case by case basis and you have to pick something that makes sense to your child based on their age and the situation. And it will, you know, it'll change. 100% agree. Um, RaiseMagazine.com is where you can take a look. You can find out where you can connect on all the social media outlets. Um, I just... There's so many good reads on here. I, I'm going to say serious reads and educational reads and resources. And then you can have a little bit of fun, like your top 10 self-care products for moms in quarantine. You need that as well in your life. You need serious and you need, well, that's all serious stuff too. But I love how you highlighted these things. It's just for example, one of my favorites is the Dr. Teal's Pure Epsom Salt Soothe and Sleep Lavender Soaking Solution. You better believe that stuff is in the house. So um, I loved the different... And everything on the list is something you can get either at the grocery store or at Target when you go for toilet paper. Yes. And this was really like, we're all going crazy. What can I grab when I'm there, this isn't, you know, order from Sephora, which is a different blog post, but I really resisted doing the quarantine post for a while. And then I realized this isn't going anywhere. Nope. So we're just going to have to embrace it. Like I'm missing um, my facials and I see this homemade face mask that yeah. you put up there. Ah, oh, I've got to use yeah. this. It's a puffy piece, but sometimes that's what you need after reading, you know, the New York Times for an hour. Well, like, exactly. I'm, and then you can all look over on to when I'm looking at this right now, the quarantine cocktails. It's like, yes, I want my serious and then I need my not so serious, but it's definitely part of my life that I need. Um, last, uh, you know, comments, Jessica, things that you want to say for the listener, direct them to obviously raise magazine, but anything else that you would like to tackle before I let you go enjoy the day? Um, I would really encourage anybody who enjoys the website to follow us on Instagram because we do a lot of little mini posts on Insta that don't end up on the site because sometimes I have something important to say about adoption or step parenting, but it's not a thousand words, right? You know, it's a paragraph. And sometimes those are the most powerful and get the most response from our readers. And the point of our Instagram page is really to build a community. It's really a place to come to say, here is the issue that I'm having and who else is having this and how did you deal with it? It's really a place for people to learn from each other. So it's, um, a, you know, while our Facebook and Twitter is great too, it's really Instagram that's building our community of moms. And on Instagram, it's raise parent mag, correct? Yes. Okay. So yes. raise that's our handle for all of the social. Okay. Raise parent mag. You can get that for all the social media outlets. I'll also put all of your information on the show notes in case someone's listening while they're driving and they need to refer back. I just 
I'm really excited for you. I'm excited to hopefully talk to you in six months, maybe a year and see how much of a difference you're making and the people you're impacting. So smart for you to put this together. And I mean, thank you for what you're doing in the community and and helping educate others. Thank you so much for having me on. I want to remind you, if you are looking to buy or sell a home, please go with Blondin Real Estate. They have added extra steps throughout the whole process to ensure safety for you and for them. They have made sure to adapt in these unprecedented times, and they want to help you buy or sell your home, and that includes virtual real estate. This isn't new to Blondin Real Estate, as they've been practicing virtual real estate for a number of years. See how at BlondinRealEstate.com. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and if you're feeling really generous, write me a review. And don't forget to join me next week for a new episode of Two Kids and a Career.